Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. was like a knee-jerk reaction. I was a nerve walking around reacting to this external stimuli that I thought it's everything outside of me is what's ruining my life. I had no sense of like self-responsibility and because of that no sense of like self-efficacy. Welcome back to another episode of You Need Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat and I am the host of this podcast. If you don't know me, hello. It's nice to, um, what is this, virtually? Is this virtually? I don't know what it is, but it's nice to kind of somehow meet you. Um, I'm going to make this intro really, really short today because the episode is pretty long, but it is a good freaking episode. So today... We are talking all about trauma and the body and messaging and this thing called somatics. And it's a lot of good information. So I have my friend on. Her name is Elena. And we talk about how we met in the episode. But she's one of my friends that I met working at a treatment center. And in this episode, you'll hear her tell part of her story and then how she found her own journey of healing and what worked for her. And we kind of explain the connection of the body and the brain and movement with trauma and with our our messaging. So I'm going to let the episode do all the work. It is an amazing episode. I do want to say I'm so grateful for Elena and taking a big chunk of time out of her day to come in and and well not come in because we did this over zoom um, which you can kind of tell with the audio part but I'm so grateful that she took a big chunk of time to do that she is one of the most joyful lovable people you will ever meet she's a very honest person she's a very fun person she's a very real person and you'll be able to see that very quickly when she starts to talk but before we get to the episode I'm going to tell you because you're going to want to know her is you can follow her on instagram at 
Alaina. So it's U-H underscore L-A-I-N underscore U-H. And I'll put that in the notes. And then she actually hosts hip-hop dance classes on Facebook that are free twice during the week, Tuesday and Thursday at 5.30 p.m. And you can search Elena Deaver Fitness. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So you can find that. Other than that, I'm just going to let this episode do the work. Again, follow us at Uni Therapy Podcast. Follow me at Three Quarts Therapy and share this episode if you love it. And here's my conversation with Elena. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, how's it going? Pretty good. I'm like nervous. Uh, really? I don't know why. We're really just talking. It's I, love really- po- I love podcasts, so I'm really excited. <laughs> is this your first um, guest appearance? This is my first time. Oh my gosh. Wow. Oh, this is so special. Um, okay. So first, we can just talk for a, a little bit until we like get into the juice of things. Yeah. Um, what is your life? What are you doing in this um, quarantine land? Oh my gosh, dude, I live in my house and I never leave. That's, that's what it feels like. Yeah. So, I mean, I've gotten out a few times and I've started actually grocery shopping. I was having like groceries delivered. So I recently started buying my own groceries. So that's pretty cool. Okay. Like a big deal. You're like, I went to Kroger and it was amazing. It was so enlightening. No, it's just <laughs> weird. Like, what is this existence that we're living in? Um, you know, I'm just, I am staying home with Jonah. Like, that's my gig most of the time. I mean, he's taking a nap, so I can't promise that we won't hear him. My mother-in-law's here, but we'll keep it moving. But, yeah, like, I keep him all day, and then I'm teaching my classes, right, on Facebook, which I'm thinking I'm going to have to adjust that a little bit. I you don't know, Facebook. What? You do a lot of the classes, though. I'm doing Tuesday, Thursday. I just, I kind of a little bit get, like, I just want it to go away when it's done. I like to just replays. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people want that. I've had people ask me that for years. Like, is there a way, would you put your stuff on YouTube or whatever? People used to ask me that at the ranch all the time, like, to do my, like, movement stuff Mm -hmm. that way. And I'm always weirded out. I think that I've got to get over myself, you know? (laughs) Yeah, you got to get over yourself. (laughs) I really do. I know it's a problem. People ask me, I've had, my friends have been saying, I wish that you guys would do a YouTube channel. I would watch it all the time. And I'm like, I have this sense of maintaining myself. Like Brene Brown talked about that. Like, I want to be small and stay in my bubble. And so this thought of like putting, actually putting myself out there for some reason, I have this block about it. Which is actually really weird to hear you say that. I know. Like, you're the last person I, I would think or to expect to hear that. People say you're that. You're not all like a small personality at all. <laughs> <laughs> In a good way. I know. But, I mean, I'm telling you, I've even, like, sort of had this, I don't know. It's, I've got a lot of awareness around it, like, where, I'm like, why don't I create a professional, like, social media presence where I talk about these things in a more, you know, put myself out there in that way because I'm at home. I don't really have a job I go to right now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I have this block about it. I have to just walk through that fear. I don't know what I'm afraid of. 
Well, I do know a little bit. I have this like imposter syndrome, but I don't <laughs> you know what one of my favorite, this was, I heard this on a podcast. It was um, Tim Ferriss podcast and it was, what's his face? Vince Vaughn was on it oh. and they were talking about fear. Cause I think that he had had some show called fearless or something. And he said, I believe that the woods we create around our fear is bigger than the actual fear itself. So like, it's like the, all the stuff we build around the actual thing. So if I'm afraid of getting like, if I'm afraid of getting rejected from a job, it's like we hype ourselves up, but then it's like, okay, I got rejected and I was sad and then I moved on, you know, it's, it's so interesting, but then that's, that's anxiety is the woods, but you need to have a, well, not you need, if you want to, you should, but if you don't want to, that's okay. You would have the best, if you had like a Instagram account, like a, I would be on that all the time. (laughs) I was stalking you. Um, I was telling my friend that I was doing this and I said, I sort of feel like I should have my professional stuff set up. We could totally plug it, but I don't like, I need to just do it, which would be such a smart thing to do right now when I can't have a traditional job right now. Like, yeah. Well, okay. So today, this is what I was thinking, which can shift things. But so what I was thinking we would talk about is really trauma in the body because I have a lot of people that have one episode on trauma then I was like who can I really have that would one really talk about things and not around things would be like fun and also you have all of that the movement part like doing all that therapy and doing all like everything you did the rant not a lot of people have that part so I wanted to talk about that but really it can go anywhere just record and we can you can like I don't know, work your editing mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just so you know, we've been recording this whole time. Oh, okay. That works too. <laughs> Great. But let's I, just put let's just put my therapy session out. Why not? Like <laughs> I have all this fear about people knowing who I am. Okay. Uh, so thank you for saying that because I feel like most people are really nervous before they record. Really just we're having a conversation. But everybody's afraid of what they're going to say, if they're going to say it the right way, they're going to come off, if they're going to think about if they could say it better later, feeling put on the spot, not knowing the answer. Like, it's just a conversation. Yeah. I kept having to remind my ego of that this whole last week, you know, after we decided and said this, I was like, I had to stop, step back and be like, listen, ego, I know you're freaking out right now because of your intense desire for image management. However, like just sit down it's okay to say the wrong thing it's okay to like not know all the answers I don't know all the answers yeah like that's just bottom line as a human being living in this experience but it's so hard I think in our culture of this competitiveness of you know cancel culture and social media and like feeling like I have to present myself in a way where I know everything and that and I and the other I think the other belief is I can't put myself out until I have all the boxes checked I know all the answers because then I can help people and do the right things and say the right things and not offend anyone and do all the right stuff but that's just not it's never gonna happen I just won't I'll just stay in the in the box or whatever (laughs) well I think yes because one you're, you're never going to know everything. You're always going to offend somebody because there's too many people that are different for everybody to agree with you. So it's really, I believe what I believe and I know what I know, and I'm going to do with what I can with what I believe and what I know. 
Like that's all we can do. I mean, I am a trauma therapist and eating disorder therapist. I don't know everything there is. I, you probably know a lot about stuff that I don't even know. So <laughs> I have a podcast. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that should be your intro. <laughs> like in every podcast. I have a podcast, but I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I just, I'm making this stuff up as I go. Right. Um, okay. Well, let's just start and we'll see where we go. Cause yeah. I, I want to also go back and like, you know, in times. Cause I loved, I love talking about like my first impressions of people. And I was thinking about the first time I was introduced to you. You probably don't remember this, but it was at Winsong. You had short hair, I remember. Yeah. We were upstairs, and you came to talk about the movement thing that they were implementing. And we're like, what the hell is this? None of us knew what it was. And then I don't think I knew you, but I think everybody else knew who you were. But you also had really cool glasses, I remember. I think they were like the teal, like cat eye ones. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. And I just remember being so confused. But it's one of those imposter things because I was probably really, really new. So I was like, well, I have to act like I know what she's talking about. And so I probably didn't ask any questions. But it was when, but I was like, who is this girl? What is she talking about? Why don't I know what it is? And she seems really fun. <laughs> but you were like very um, excited. Like you were just excited about what you were going to do. And that was like refreshing of like somebody, because I was a new therapist and a lot of therapists get burnt out specifically working in certain areas or places yeah so I just remember it was like a it was excitement and it was like cool and then like the clients all loved like I'm going with Elena I'm gonna go see Elena and I'm like I also want to go see Elena <laughs> and then uh, I think it was probably soon after that I went to adventure and then how did you get so basically what had happened was <laughs> what had happened the a bunch of people read dr bessel van der kolk's book the body keeps the score and they were like we need to be doing more of these like body-based therapies body-based you know things what can we do and when i interviewed to be i i literally came to that job to test dip my toe in the water of working in treatment and so i applied to be a resident assistant and I was studying somatic movement therapy and I had my own like background in recovery which I don't know how like where we want to go with this but I had my own story and what I like my personal work I you know I was dancing and then I had started in somatic movement therapy and I thought do I want to like pursue dance movement therapy or just somatic movement therapy on its own thing? Do I want to, you know, become a therapist? Like, I don't know. I just had, a, like, I was in this world. And so I was like, how can I combine all these things I love? And so I had applied to be a resident assistant to see what it was like to be in the environment and to live. It was, yeah. a, it was a tip that my mother-in-law gave me. She had previously worked there and she said, why don't you just apply? And then that way you can see what it's like. And I mean, even as a resident assistant, like I went into the interview and I was like, this is what I'm doing. This is my long-term goals. And literally from that interview process, they, it was like, Hey, I think I started leading groups like 
week two out the gate. So you got a job as a RA. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So then this is great. So let's go backwards and then forwards because people have no idea who you are. So um, (laughs) I like always forget that. I'm like, these people don't know who this is, even though I've known you for a very long time. So tell us um, who you are, where you're from, um, anything that you just like want to say about yourself. And then um, we'll go back and talk about how we met and then how you started the life that you're living right now. I know. <laughs> life is not a linear path. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I, it's just so interesting. I think growing up, I had this idea like, okay, this is how my life is going to go. Right. You know, you, and, and I think we're taught that in our culture, you, you go, you're a toddler and then you go to kindergarten and then you, school is such a big, what's the word I'm looking for? Like milestones. And, I, and you, yeah. And you just, you keep following the path that's laid in front of you. And so then, you know, after high school, well, for me, it was like, I guess I'm going to go to college. That seems like the right thing to do, you know, but anyways, I'm saying all of that to say at some point you just fall off that path that wagon <laughs> and, yeah. and travel all these different ways. But I'm Elena Deaver and I am a dancer. I love hip-hop music. Mm-hmm. I'm a somatic practitioner, and uh, my latest and greatest title is Mother. And my coming out of high school and into college, I actually thought that I was going to um, study improv and be an improv actor and go <laughs> to Chicago and study at Second City and then maybe audition for Saturday Night Live. And then from there, I might do some Broadway. And then I literally like had, you know, as a kid, you yeah. have these yeah. big things. And I, you know, college seemed like the comfortable choice. A lot of my, all of my friends were going to college and I thought, okay, I'll do that. Um, I'll study theater and see where it takes me. And I had always loved to dance. And I grew up in a really small town and we didn't really have access or I didn't have access to dance as, you know, taking classes and stuff. It just wasn't, it wasn't around very much. Like there were dance studios here and there and I took class, you know, when I could, it really wasn't something that my parents could afford. So dance for me became this thing that I did with watching music videos and recording. I can remember recording music videos and imitating, you know, and I became a cheerleader because they danced and I could do that. And I choreographed dances and um, I had no formal training whatsoever throughout my childhood or I was 19 years old. I did my first year of theater at Austin Peay State University. And then my second year, they introduced a dance program to the theater uh, program. Uh, and so I s- took my very first technique class, Introduction to Dance, and I was like, oh, this is it. I'll, I can do this. And so from there, I mean, I just, I totally shifted. I went from wanting to like pursue acting and, and all of that to being like, no, I want to do dance. Um, and so I studied dance and I had this, um, 
idea in my head that I was going to pursue dance in higher education. I wanted to teach at the collegiate level. I wanted to make dance and maybe have a dance company. At that time, I was still really, I love, I've always loved hip hop dance and the history of it and the culture and how it moves and, and really how it shapes our, you know, social dances kind of, you know, weave into our lives. I love all of that stuff. And so I, and I was also studying modern dance and within dance, I found somatics and I sort of came about it in a little bit of a sideways way in that, you know, I heard people say that word. I didn't know what it meant. I took my first yoga class in I think 2006 and I was like, oh, this is something that's for me. You know, it, it helped me and I was like, I like the way it feels when I'm practicing this. So that in 2006 is when I started practicing yoga on a personal level. So I'm dancing and doing yoga. And then somewhere in about 2010, so I don't know how old I was then, uh, in my 20s, I was having like incredibly severe panic attacks. And so I would just have these moments where I felt so out of control, so much anxiety and panic. And I was like, what is this feeling? I want to get away from it. So of course, you know, the tools I had in my toolbox were numb out, work more, do whatever I can to not feel this way. But I had no tools on where this comes from or how to fix it. Like I just had nothing. And when's the first time you ever went to therapy? So that's down the road a bit. So okay. I was having, I was having these anxiety attacks. I'm trying to think like, I feel like I'm zooming around the professional side to personal side. So paralleling, I'm, you know, studying in college. And then I'm, I'd had a couple of bad relationships where I was seeing like some of my own personal issues playing out. You know, you don't know what that is, but regardless I graduated college. I started working as a professional actor and then I'm still like making dance and teaching dance. And then my, who was my boyfriend at the time we lived together, who's my husband now went to treatment for substance abuse. And that was like this pinnacle moment of like, something's not right with the world. So I was having all this anxiety while at simultaneously he was dealing with his own issues and we were like these two I don't even know what you would call it we were on this roller coaster of chaos I would say what was it what was that like for you because when he goes to treatment are you thinking that your anxiety is about his substance abuse or are you both having your own problems that are just kind of bumping up against each other well, the truth of the story is that we both were like messed up adult type human beings who didn't have the capacity to live uh, in homeostasis. <laughs> but if you would have asked me at that time what was wrong, I would have said if he would just do <laughs> the right stuff, I would feel better. <laughs> like, and I went about my whole life like that. It was all about external if this situation would go the way I believe it should, then I'll be okay. If this, yeah. if X happens, or, you know, like if not A self, happens, we have it. Not self-regulation. Like you all regulate your yourselves and then I'll be fine. <laughs> I don't have to do anything. It's the fact right. that you're all messed up 
that you're making me dysregulated, but I'm actually perfect. Exactly. <laughs> that is what I would have told you. Yeah. I don't even know if I could have articulated that. I just knew something wasn't right. And it was because of all these external factors. And if all of the planets and stars would align in the way that I believe they should be, then I could be happy and none of this would be a problem. <laughs> I wouldn't have this anxiety. Same. <laughs> but the truth is, is that, you know, through that was like a, a process that kind of catapulted me into my own healing journey. So he went to treatment and I went to my first Al-Anon meeting and that was what like, because these people probably don't know what that some people don't know what that is. Yeah. So um, Al-Anon is for families and friends of alcoholics and addicts. It's a support group uh, based on the 12 steps. So it's, it comes from Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's specifically geared towards the family. And that was kind of my um, step into my own healing journey. And so I attended my first Al-Anon meeting. And I mean, within seconds of like reading the first introduction, it was like, this is me. <laughs> this is all me. I mean, and I, I thought I was going to learn how to fix the people in my life and to fix everything outside of me. I was still had that idea in my first meeting, like they're going to tell me what to do and how to keep him from using and to keep, you know, at the, I, at the time I still wouldn't have known this, but in hindsight, looking back, I had such this fear of abandonment, which is part of that, like chaos. I was like, Oh, don't leave me. I need your attention. You know, I always joke, like I go into performance because I'm like, Tinkerbell, please clap for me and tell me I'm good. I need everybody to like clap so I can live, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I can't live if you don't tell me that I'm good or that I'm worthy and your actions are what I'm using as the it's kind of air you breathe as people's admiration for you. Exactly. I need it. No, <laughs> not so much today, but at that time, I really, that was where I was constant validation. And so I, through my work in the 12 steps and through my work in Al-Anon, I learned that I, it was about me and healing myself and how learning about my triggers, my issues and staying in my hula hoop, you know, that's like a pretty traditional Al-Anon thing is like, how can I stay in my hula hoop and not worry about what other people are doing? And that was like a huge wake up call. But how uncomfortable was that though? Like how does somebody learn to stay in their hula hoop if they like need people? Cause it's like, you don't need to be in his hula hoop. It's almost like you want him in your hula hoop. Absolutely. Actually, I don't want to be in a hula hoop. <laughs> I want to go around telling people how to live in their hula hoops. <laughs> how do you do, like how would, how uncomfortable, I wonder for you as you're trying to work on all those things, how do you not just whack-a-mole things and like, okay, I'm not going to fix my boyfriend or my significant other. I'm going to fix this or I'm going to work on, I'm going to look perfect. Like how, what other things I wonder popped up as you're trying to work on this one problem? Because as we know, if we like go to therapy and we're like, I need help with my, uh, I am just really anxious about this test. And then like two sessions later, we're talking about when you were six years old in Walmart. Oh, um, that is exactly what happened. <laughs> like, I didn't avoid that situation. I didn't avoid that experience. I, 
absolutely had that experience of, you know, I went thinking it was one thing and finding out it was me, you know, and my stuff. And then through Al-Anon, I found adult children of alcoholics, which, you know, a lot of people come to that and they're like, well, my family was fine and everything was fine. And, you know, a lot of us grow up in dysfunction. It doesn't have to be, look like one thing or the other thing. So I found that program because I fit the laundry list, which people can find online and those traits I took into adulthood and I found that program. And then in that program, I got a little bit deeper into some of the things that I carried over. You know, I like to say that I don't blame my family for how I react to things as an adult, but I took some things, some lessons from childhood that did not serve me at all and beliefs and core beliefs and programming and, and not, it's not necessarily about just my family, but also just our culture and how we do things and how, at large, right? I came out of that childhood experience with some core beliefs that just were not good. So ACA helped me get a little bit deeper. And I think I had been in the, like I'd been in my own, my own recovery journey for about four years. I had gone through the pink cloud phase, which was getting into my real, the real deal stuff of, um, my own personal work. And I was like, I feel terrible. And I was pissed. I was mad. I was like, I'm doing all of this work. I'm, you know, I'm working the 12 steps. I'm going to meetings. I'm like meditating and doing yoga. And at that time I was, I had already um, sort of started my somatic movement therapy journey. I'd found that work, which I think maybe we can get into a little bit deeper in a minute, but I did that. And then I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I picked up the phone and I called and found a therapist. I mean, it was just like, and I remember it was so funny. They answered the phone. Um, I don't know if I should divulge where it was, but they answered the phone and was like, what are you looking for? I said, I want a female therapist who deals with trauma. Specifically, I want to work, do EMDR. I want, you know, like I want to work on internal family systems. And they were like, like, okay. Help me and what to do. And (laughs) (laughs) right. It's just another those are my favorite emails or calls when it's like, I'm looking for a therapist specifically. I would like to do CBT with a mixture of three sessions that involve DBT and maybe some um, brain spotting during the sixth session. And I'm like, Oh, this is going to be real fun. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I was still trying. I'm still grasping at the control. <laughs> we, I hear that. <laughs> right. So anyways, um, long story, much longer. No, <laughs> I, I started therapy and I was doing that work and then that got me even deeper. And it's like the deeper I get, the more I realize, I think I get stuck in the story that I tell myself, the stories that I'm telling myself about the people in my, in my life, the stories I tell myself about situations, about things, the ideas, the concepts. What were your stories? Well, that I'm not good enough, that I have to perform, that, you know, it's like it it just embodied itself in my work that I have to be perfect, that I have to present myself in a way that I, like, I have to know everything. I can't ask questions about things. I have to, just like we were talking about a second ago, I, I have to know all the answers before I even show myself. I can't show weakness. I can't show vulnerability. Like, those were all the... I had all this armor, you know, and all these things I'd built up and, and 
if you know me, I had to be happy and positive and like funny. I use humor to deflect everything. Like I have to be funny and, and bubbly and, oh, Elena, she's just like out there, you know, it's, I don't know. So that was just another form of armor. Do you have a memory or an experience of you remember feeling not good enough? I don't know. I don't really have that. I do remember a lot as a kid getting validation from uh, performing or being cute and funny and like singing or dancing or whatever and liking that attention. I mean, that's just the truth. I think kids want attention. Yeah. And it's almost, well, and we need attention too. And I wonder one part of that could be if we are used to getting all of this, if we grew up getting this attention and this attention was good. And when, when I did something, it was, I got congratulated or bragged on or whatever. It almost like that becomes a norm and it's like, um, that becomes baseline. And so then when you're not getting it, there's something wrong. Nobody said anything, but why is nobody telling me I'm good? And I only hear people say I'm good when I do something extravagant. So right. I need to be good because that's what the world says. And so if I'm just myself and just here, there's something wrong. So I need to keep doing all of these things. So it's not, right. it's maybe that nobody told you you were bad, but it's like the world says you need to hear you're good. And I only hear I'm good when I'm doing all of these things. So I must continue to do all these things. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially like when I look at my own personal like healing and recovery journey, um, a lot of, and you know, in the way I show up in relationships had something to do with that too. But, you know, again, that school being a touch point as I'm coming out of undergrad and thinking about, I'd applied for some graduate programs and they were like, you need to go live and be in life and then come back. And so the thought of like being in the real world and having to make my own path, make my own decisions um, was terrifying. And I think that was part of it too. It's like, uh, oh, I need these this external motivation of people telling me what to do and then tell me I'm good at it. Mm -hmm. Like show me the rules and then I'll follow them. And then you can tell me I'm good and then I'll know it that I'm good. Which is so interesting to hear you say that because knowing you, and maybe it was the part of in your story where I met you, I never would think of you as somebody who like always has to follow the rules. Yeah. Well, it may be on your own path. Like that. My idea was like, Elena does what Elena wants to do. (laughs) well yeah I think when we met I was like I I was probably four five or six years into my own yeah you know my own healing journey and when I say rules I don't necessarily mean like you know I don't know it's more of the underlying rules not the things it's like more of like the unspoken agreements that we have within our family systems and within um, our school cultures and those sort of things. It wasn't necessarily, I don't know, I can't think of anything specifically tangible to, to, to give language to it, but it was, it's definitely all of the unspoken things or my, again, it's the stuff, my, my imagination is runs rampant. So I get to, if I don't know what people are thinking, I'm going to tell myself what they're thinking. And so that was something I had to really break down was all the meaning making and storytelling and, and specifically in regard to like, Oh, what are people going to think? Did you know when you went to therapy? Well, 
maybe you knew it when you went to therapy, but when did you realize that you had experienced trauma, whether it was big T or little T trauma? Honestly, I think it was when I started working at the ranch. <laughs> After you started going to therapy, right? Yeah. Well, I, I had started... I can't remember if I started therapy before I started working at the ranch or if that happened right after. Now that that timeline is a little fuzzy. I knew now you were I'm thinking, going to therapy when we worked together. Yes. So I think my first six months or whatever at the ranch, I wasn't in therapy. I was just in recovery in 12 step recovery rooms. I wasn't actively seeing a therapist and we, I sat in on orientation. No with buddy. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember I was like, he talked about the big T trauma, little T trauma and the fee- It was, and again, here we go. It was the feelings behind it. I did. I don't, again, I don't have those things. Like I wasn't physically abused. I wasn't hungry. Like I didn't have that stuff in my story. And so in my head, I'm like, it wasn't that it, it wasn't bad. Like, you know, all those things we tell ourselves, but I don't really, I couldn't pinpoint it was a feeling. Uh, so when we talk about like, and you can add to this, but like, yeah, when we say, when I say big T trauma and little T trauma, big T trauma is the trauma that everybody thinks about. Like I was abused or I was, I was severely neglected or I was in this natural disaster or I had this really great lot, like loss, like where a parent or a sibling or somebody dies. And it's like those big things that it's almost like we are like, well, that makes sense. You would feel that way. But that's when we have the comparative suffering. And when we're sitting there and we're like, well, I don't have trauma, so I don't have a reason to feel this way. And this is my own, like all that stuff. But little T traumas are those more like emotional wounds and they can be just as harmful depending on when they happen, how often they happen, where you are in life when it's happening, who's around you, who's in your life. And so those little T traumas aren't necessarily like, this one large event, it's almost like Chinese water torture, you know, it's like little over and oh yeah, drip, drip, drip over and over until you're like, there's a hole in my head, but like, that's just a drop of water. So I shouldn't be upset about it. And so you're sitting there in this orientation with which, where we work, we worked at a treatment center and every client has to go to this orientation. And I don't know what it's like now, but I remember I still, I will not throw away my notebook from my first yeah. day there because the notes in it, I'm like, I love, re- I, it's like my world was blown up. And mm-hmm. I remember drawing that Pac-Man thing. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes. So he drew a Pac-Man and it had like, it was like a circle with like the little like pizza cut out of it. And it's basically like, that's who we are when we show up at, at in treatment or wherever. We're like this circle that's missing a piece and we're going around trying to like grab other things to fill it but like we don't even know what we're missing a lot of the time right anyway so you're sitting there and you're like wait a second i don't have big t trauma but i feel some of this yeah and that's i mean yeah that's that's exactly it and it's it was more like a a a feeling in my body the whole anxiety thing for me was I would have these, like, it was a real visceral experience. Mm-hmm. And so the way it manifested for me was I would have this physical sensation of, oh, my chest is tight. I get that. I feel this heat on my body. My fists wanted to clench. My jaw would clench. I would have this like knot in my stomach and just be sweating and like sometimes shaking. 
and have this like real, the truth is, is that I couldn't articulate where is this coming from? What is this about? Where did this, how, why is this happening to me? And the truth is, is that my brain would then go off and make up. It's because this person's doing this and this is why I feel this way. Or it's because of school and this thing in school or, you know, this, I don't know. It was, I had all of these, like, I created all these stories. And external stories of why, why I'm feeling this, why this is happening. I have these present day external reasons. And that's why you're like, well, if my boyfriend would go fix his, shit or if I would just put 100 <laughs> on this test or if this teacher would stop being such a whatever or if yeah. this friend would take care of her stuff I would be fine but it really has nothing to do with any of that right I like that you're bringing into the bo- the body part did you have when did you have a connection of my emotions and my feelings also are changing the way I feel in my body because a lot of people are like I'm anxious and they don't even realize that when they're anxious, they have tightness in their chest until somebody asks them like, well, what is your body? Well, I think part of that has to do with the fact that I was a dancer or I should say I am a dancer, but at the time I'd been dancing. I'm like I said, so when, when I started therapy, let's, I think it was like two, I want to say it was 2014. So at this point I'd been practicing yoga for like almost 10 years. I had already started my training in somatic movement therapy. I knew what it felt like to watch my breathing and to be in my body. It wasn't until, so I had that, I came to it with that first. I had the body stuff first. And then I learned, oh, my thoughts are creating this story and my body is responding to it. And also my bot, when my, sometimes my body's making, having the experience. And so my mind's making up the story. Uh-huh. It was all like opening up. Really? That's great awareness. But did you, with all of your training, did they connect the fact of like your nervous system and what's really going on? Or are you just knowing that like my body's doing something and my brain's doing something? I didn't have that language at that time. That came a few years later when I started, well, I was working at the ranch and I did uh, somatic experiential therapy training. My uh, mentor in somatic movement therapy, Sandra Fraley, she started adding that stuff into our, our work as well. So talking about the nervous system and all that. Okay, because this is a good part for you to one, explain what somatic means. <laughs> I think it would be cool. And I can talk about this or I'm okay with you doing this. When people are asking you to breathe and when your breath is either shallow or deep or fast, what's actually going on inside of your body and how is that adding to the story in your brain or how's your story in your brain adding to the breathing in your body? I kind of want to touch on both of those. So one, what is somatic. So, um, yeah, somatic, it comes from the word soma, um, which is a Greek word and it's about the body. So people think, okay, soma body, but it's not necessarily just this solid form. It's the living body. It's the lived experience. It's the embodiment. Thomas Hanna coined that term in the seventies and he was a philosopher and a, and a somatic educator. Um, and he said, the soma is alive. It's, 
the individual embodiment of a process which endures and adapts through time, it remains soma as long as it lives. So the moment we die, we're no longer a soma, we're just a body. So this concept of like this lived embodied experience, it's the living body in its wholeness. So somatics is about being aware of our body, right? Our lived experience. You were doing somatic movement before you went to the, I think we did that training together. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Somatic movement therapy is, well, according to Ismeta, I pulled their definition because sometimes I have trouble. It's so funny. I have trouble like articulating with language right. this felt experience. So I went ahead and pulled their from their website. So Ismeta is the International Somatic Movement Education and Therapy Association. So their definition is it enhances human function and body-mind integration through mindful and restorative movement. Our practices incorporate postural and movement evaluation, experiential anatomy, guided movement patterning to increase, increase efficiency, all while developing kinesthetic and proprioceptive sensitivity. What? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> that makes no sense to me. <laughs> right? So language... So let's give it some, let's, let's break it down, shall we? So basically, and I'll go ahead and say that my personal experience with somatic movement therapy comes from the school East West Somatics, um, which is developed by Sandra Fraley. And we can talk or put somewhere where people can find the website or whatever, but Sandra breaks it down. Somatics is how we move, how we feel and how we do. So if we're talking about proprioception, it's the perception of our own body. It's how we perceive ourselves. And then kinesthetic awareness is like how we move. And that's how, how we move in the world and how we perceive that movement. And so somatic movement includes like movement patterning. So how do you habitual patterns of holding? And if we come back to talking about trauma, how do you hold your body all the time? Where are you holding tension? I've been seeing a lot as I scroll through my news feed, these little memes where it's like, drop your shoulders, take a deep breath, like, mm-hmm. you know, notice yourself. That's somatic. That's like noticing how we hold our body. How do you get up every day? How do you get out of bed? How are you walking? Do you lean more on your right side? So from a physical, just as strictly physical standpoint, are your shoulders dropped down? You know, and then if we're looking at it from a therapeutic standpoint, it's like, okay, I hold my body this way. What does that mean? How did we get here that we're closed off? Or So you can, there are a lot of different things that come into play with somatic movement therapy in that it's a lot of, converging right so there's dance there's um yoga therapists use these tools um in traditional psychotherapy people in physical therapy Mm -hmm. the medical community is like finding this stuff beneficial right it's like science and creativity together Mm -hmm. and that's where we are and you know i will probably get to this but i think what a lot of people come into therapy or, or just have, even if they're not in therapy, just like walk through life thinking that we hold our experiences in our brain 
and in our thought. A lot of us who have trauma, we might hold the messaging, we might hold the lesson in our brain, but we don't hold the experience and what happened in our brain so much, but we hold those in our body. And I always come back to the idea of, you know, how in training they showed that video of the polar bear. And Mm -hmm. so there's this video of this polar bear and he's getting chased and you can fill in gaps in the story if I tell it wrong, but they end up shooting him with a tranquilizer, I guess. Yeah. It's actually quite a traumatic video to watch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't recommend watching it at, but, um, and then they, they show him go through the motions of like fight or flight and then they shoot him. And so it's frozen. Then they show him waking up and what happens. And I think this is what happens with, or this is what I know what happens with, basically every animal except uh, humans <laughs> is that when we experience some kind of traumatic experience, they like, when we experience that, we get tight. We go into this like tightness, we hold it together, we're strong, we move forward and then we forget about it and then we go on with our lives. But what we don't realize is we are meaning making people. So we might take that experience and go on with our lives, but we also made a meaning out of it. And what animals do, what other species do, is they go somewhere where they feel safe and they shake. And in this video, you see the polar bear waking up shaking. And it's like a discharge of all of this energy and, and emotion and feelings. And we don't do that. And that's when you're talking about you sit hunched over. What is that? It's like, I don't know. There might be something in our back that we need to shake out, but we don't do that. And... <laughs> And I'm fine. Yeah. And I think it comes down to scope of practice. Um, right. As a somatic movement therapist, like I'm not going to sit down and talk to somebody about their trauma. You know, I'm, we're looking right. at the body and in my work specifically, you know, through shin somatics, we learn about, we don't have to know. We can find comfort, find the path of least resistance, find what feels good I, you know, I think that a lot of times we're, we get so focused on the trauma or whatever. And Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, he says trauma is not a memory about the past. The past is over. It sits inside of you and makes you feel and behave as if it is still going on. Mm-hmm. And that right there is, we don't have to know. We, it, it's in our bodies, just like with me. Like I don't have a, that memory to pinpoint, but I had a lot of feelings in my body that I just wanted to run away from and numb out. And I think a lot of people do. It's like, I feel uncomfortable. So I'm going to go drink or use drugs or have sex or, you know, eat, numb out, watch Netflix for five hours and eat a cupcake or whatever your ways of numbing out. And some of those things, actually all of those things can be good until they're not good until you're just using it to avoid because those feelings are going to come out. I think for somatic movement, it's about um, bringing awareness to the unconscious patterns. If it's unconscious, I may not be able to even tell you what I'm doing. But as a somatic practitioner, if I come in and sit with you as a regulated nervous system, mm-hmm. and I can help you get to your regulated nervous system, and then together, we can sort of uncover those unconscious habitual patterns and habitual states of holding tension or holding whatever and let it find its way out just like the polar bear and shaking it out or even you know it doesn't even have to be vigorous like that it's like 
And through that process, we can develop the capacity to have choices. You know, I think for me, in my story, I just was like a knee-jerk reaction. I was a nerve walking around, reacting to this external stimuli that I thought it's everything outside of me is what's ruining my life. I had no sense of like self-responsibility and because of that, no sense of like self-efficacy. I didn't feel like I could do set goals for myself. I was always waiting on somebody to tell me what to do and somebody to tell me how to feel. I was looking outside of myself. And I think that's part of that traumatic response of like that fight, flight, or freeze. And we go into this place of, and not realizing that everything we need to heal ourselves is within us. We just need another, you know, I think sometimes we just need another regulated nervous system to tell us it's safe. It's safe to just be comfortable and to be okay. And I think through that safety, we're able to, to let go and to process. And then also sometimes that means those things come up and we learn the stories of our past or even, you know, the things that are holding us back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're talking about, um, just to put some more words to it, you're talking about the, the autonomic nervous system where you have essentially what there was. And I, I want to say it's in the body keeps a score that they talk about this, but, or I would assume they do. But um, at one point, the autonomic nervous system, which is the fight, flight, or freeze part of your body had two parts. It was the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And the sympathetic nervous system is your fight or flight. And that's the part of your body. It's really like I describe that. That's the inhale part. That's like revving you up. And then the parasympathetic is the exhale part that that's more of like the break, but that's also a freeze. That's a shutdown. And Mm -hmm. so we have this ability to speed up and then we have this ability to slow down, but there isn't a part to help. What you're talking about is this regulated person outside of you. It's like, we can do all of the self-help we can. We can read every book. We can like do every online course. We can, do, we can go meditate. We can do this. But until we sit with somebody that is regulated, a lot of that doesn't shift. And that's where there is this third part of the nervous system brought in. And this was polyvagal theory. And it comes from the vagus nerve. And this is probably way too sciencey for a lot of people, but it's just giving like, this is the background of kind of what you're talking about. And so this nerve is a nerve that it's like a, I think it's a cluster of nerves that comes from the brain and it goes into your organs. So it connects literally your brain, your thoughts to your body, where you have all your feelings and it's controlled by attunement. And so when this theory came out, basically this polyvagal theory said that relationships are the things that cause us the most dysregulation and help us to regulate the most. Like relationships are going to be your biggest problems and also your biggest healers. And it is through relationships and attunement to people where we actually are able to soothe our nervous system. So we're not numbing out, going too far to the parasympathetic and we're not revving up, going too and running and, and all of that in the sympathetic. It's bringing those into like a balance um, where you can breathe in and you can breathe out. And that is why this makes me think of the like typical therapist voice, which I don't feel like I have. So sometimes I'm like, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> but like, you know, like in yoga, when somebody gets their yoga voice, it's like, 
there's a reason that that helps you because it's somebody is calming you down and like that you hear that calming voice and it's calming down into your body and you're able to breathe slower and then you notice things and it's that attunement to other humans that is helping you heal all of that is somatic it's being in your body and realizing what's going on with your body and being with people and being alive and hearing real voices and it's right. it's through that we're talking about trauma even whether it's the little t traumas or the big t traumas but it's that is how trauma is worked through and we rewired because that's all your emotional brain that we're talking about this is all emotion we're not talking about the part of your brain that's like i know that when i yell at my husband he gets mad or i know right. I hear a loud voice. It scares me because it reminds me of that. Logic brain, that part of your brain doesn't really turn on if your emotional brain is hyperactive or shut down. Like that's right. the focus. So reworking trauma, we have to bring both parts of those brain, those brains together. And in order to do that, we have to start with the emotional brain. So we have to start with all of the stuff that you're talking about. And so that was a lot. Is there anything you want to add to that? <laughs> I don't know. Like, it, I mean, it is a lot. And I think it's a lot to be uh, unpacked. I mean, you're exactly right. And I think my personal belief, um, which is backed by some of the science, right, is that we have to be in this regulated nervous system to even be able to get into that place. Like, if you, if I go straight into the the sensations or feelings, even without, with or without the story attached, it, it feels like I'm not going to be able to process that. Like you're just too much. It's too, too much. much. Yeah. And so as you were talking, I immediately started thinking about my son who's 22 months. He's almost two. And out of all of my work, one of the biggest lessons on this stuff that I've gotten is dealing with him on a day-to-day basis. So I stay with him that I'm a stay-at-home mom for the most part and I'm with him all day. And if I show up with him and I'm dysregulated, whether I'm thinking about things, my to-do list or whatever, he acts out. And I have that awareness enough to know I realized it one day. I was like, why is he, he's just, it's like the more he acted out, the more dysregulated I became, the more dysregulated I became, the more he was throwing fits and not wanting to like, not wanting any of the food I gave him or whatever the thing is, or just, it was like nothing satisfies him. And so then I'm getting frustrated and like, I don't know what you want from me. Like, what do you want me to do? You know, and he's two right? He can't, or what, almost to, he can't articulate that. He is the perfect example of just the, this little um, being who is only seeking pleasure, right? He's just like, it's whatever it feels good. I'm going to follow that. He's just like an empty, clean slate. And so when he, even without me saying, I can pretend all day long that everything's okay, but if I am a dysregulated nervous system, he senses that. And so he acts out because he doesn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a kid who, I mean, I guess in relation to trauma, we all have trauma because we've all been born. That's a traumatic experience, right? But for the most part, he is with me. I'm his like primary caregiver. He's with me all the time, like all of those things but he still has that reaction. If I'm a dysregulated nervous system, 
he's acting out, he's throwing tantrums. And so it, because of my background and because of my knowledge, I knew I had this like aha moment one day of like, this is my, this is me. He's mirroring me. Mm. He's mirroring my nervous system. And I'm not, I'm like using my happy voice and playing and doing all the things and trying to, and then as the more I go, he can sense it. He senses my dysregulation. And so I have tried really hard and, and always I'm trying. I'm not perfect by any means, but once I catch that, if he's throwing a tantrum, I step back and check in with my body. Mm-hmm. How can I breathe and notice? Am I holding tension? And is my face, is my jaw tight? Does he sense that, that I, something's not right with me? Can I put away my phone? You know, if I'm like, he's playing and I'm looking at Twitter and getting all tense, you know, like whatever. Happening. Can I, he's, yeah. Can I just let that all go for a minute and get fully 100% present in the moment? Because that's how he lives every moment of every day. He's just present with what is. And 100% of the time he becomes a happy glowing individual at that moment because I'm showing up for him and his regulated nervous system regulates my nervous system. And when he is like that, then I calm down and I've just, I mean, it's like mind blowing and a perfect experiential process for me to understand this thing I'm trying to teach people. Well, and I think that might give a lot of context and it make a lot of sense to people living in the world right now. The world is dysregulated. And when we really like define trauma, to be honest, I don't know what the actual definition of trauma is, but for me, what trauma I would define it as is anything less than nurturing. So anything that isn't nurturing to you is trauma. And holy hell, there's a lot Whoa. of less than nurturing stuff going on, especially now. And yeah. so there's a lot of people that are like, I've never experienced anxiety before. And now all of a sudden I'm going crazy or like, this is happening. All right. I don't know what's going on. And it's like, yeah, you are looking to a world to calm you down that is dysregulated. So the polyvagal theory, which I was just talking about, that says that like we mirror, like we get cues from what we're looking at. So if we look at somebody and they have a scowl on their face, we're going to be like, they're mad. I did something wrong. Like, or if we look at somebody and they look terrified, they're scared something bad is happening. And so everywhere we go, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or the news or whatever, it's like everything is sending us these messages that say fight, flight, or freeze. You need to run away to space because nowhere in the world is safe, safe, or you need to totally numb out everything because the world is unsafe and the only way you'll be okay is if you're not experiencing the world when like that maybe is not true. True. (laughs) So, but it feels real. Like it feels real. Yeah. I was just talking about this yesterday and trying really hard, like not to focus on being self-centered. Right. So, and I think like, why is this happening at me? Why is this happening at me? Um, and looking at my bubble so we can come back to this idea, you know, I talked about 
um, using our bodies as a way to be aware of our surroundings and how that can help us regulate and using our five senses. And I mean, I've literally, that comes back to me over and over and over again in this situation because yeah, I, it's like you wake up in the morning and you're, you don't even have to look, the news is popping up or, you know, if I turn all that off and then if I get on Facebook to teach my class or whatever, it's like, oh, it's in my face. Like, it's in my text messages, people are, you know, shouting their opinions. It feels like shouting, even with the text <laughs> message, right? Everybody has an idea of how things should be. And so I am like, we're not okay. We're not okay. And that's how it feels. And so I have to remember like, okay, what am I seeing right now? I'm in my house. I have food in my fridge. I'm not sick today. Um, I, you know, like. I, I can smell that, like. I can smell, you know, the candle or the, the food I'm cooking. I can, what am I tasting? Can I, you know, taste something? Can I open, peel an orange and have all of those senses? Can I feel my feet on the ground? Can I have this like sense of gravity that I'm being held and supported by the earth, you know, to get a little woo-woo out there. But when 99.9% .9 of the time we're okay, but it's so easy for me to get lost in my brain when you know, there's only those few times that we're experiencing grief or a major trauma or, you know, what, what we call shock trauma, those big T traumas. Um, most of the time we're safe. Oh, yeah. Like even in my community, like I'm having to, you know, make my community smaller right now, as I think a lot of us are. And that's really hard, but being able to just stop and, okay, I can't think about what does the next six months look like? how who's I don't have to solve all the world's problems although I want to and have this like self-centeredness about it you know what are actions I can take in this moment to to be make a better world or whatever but it's so hard because it feels like again if we go back to my story I feel like if I could tell everybody what to do and how to love each other and how to like you know fix the world then everything would be okay but that's not true that's self-centeredness and I have to like be present in the moment. What I think that like goes so much back to even you saying, if I can fix all these things, if I can get the, my world to look this way, then I'll be okay. Is not about right now. It's about how you had to survive when you were younger. And so yeah. I will credit Bobby Chapman to this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, which he was a therapist that worked with us. We didn't talk about this, but Elaine and I actually became um, two fourths of the adventure team at, which is basically experiential therapy, outside therapy, ropes courses. Like I remember when you made team that, building, the team building, all that stuff. All, like it was, it's the fun part of rehab. Um, yeah. but anyway, so he, um, he's the first time he explained it this way because we would do these things that were really scary like jump off of dams or telephone poles or all the, we do these adventure, what are they called? Just like an experiential activity. Word, like directives. I don't know there was a word for them, but I don't know what the word was. Well, it's not important, but we do these okay. elements, elements, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, that's and, a good word. That's and it. these were, we did it. It was a treatment center. It was highly focused on trauma. And so he talked about how we would, we would, create feelings in in the clients and we would bring them places where they would feel feelings that they felt during their trauma that they through that experience have attached 
this feeling to their trauma. And so every time they like, let's say the feeling it's fear. So in my trauma, I felt fear and I, I thought I was gonna die. And so when now those things are married and now when I feel fear in my life, I feel like I'm gonna die, even though that's not true. And that's what you're just talking about. It's like, I'm actually safe right now. Like my fear that I'm feeling actually has nothing to do with me not being safe. It can be attached to being passionate about something or anything. And so we would do these elements that would evoke fear. So let's use the, the dam. We would jump off this dam. And, and um, when the clients would go do that, there would be somebody sitting next to them before they would jump that would just like either pray with them or just like talk with them or sometimes it would be like a deep conversation and sometimes it would be like, what did you have for lunch today? But it was in just like this soothing and it was with like one of us. So we like, they knew yeah. us and they trusted us. And so we were almost, we were like attuning to them during this experience where they're feeling fear. They feel terrified. They might have the thought that they're gonna die even though they, they know logically in their logic brain that they're safe. Well, then they do this thing and they jump off and then they have this experience where they're like, I'm having this emotion, this fear, and it's attached to this lovely, like wonderful, caring memory of I'm with these people who are holding me and, and um, keeping me safe. And so that's how you detach those stories. So, and all of our emotions live in our body. So that's where it brings in this like, and so now when we have this emotion of, of fear that we feel in our body, it's like, that doesn't have to mean we're gonna die. That might have a good thing attached to it in our brain. And so when you're talking about all of that, that's what that makes me think about is um, just peeling apart those like, I have to fix all of this right now because in my head, I'm attaching this to my trauma even though I don't know that. Right. I, the world can be out of control and I can be just fine because I can smell this lavender oil and I have cinnamon rolls baking in the oven. <laughs> it's so true. Um, it's just, it's uh, simple, but not easy. And I, you know, I, I love thinking back on, especially working on the dam and like that idea of like people being afraid and then getting caught, like jumping and having that moment of, oh, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. And then you get caught at the end of it. And so, like you said, we hold them in attunement and, and in a like metaphorical way and also in a very physical way. You're being held and supported even though you're afraid. You act as if you're not afraid and you jump anyways or act as if I'm not feeling anxiety and knowing that it's not really going to kill us. And yeah. it's so hard. Yeah, it's a, it's a process. It's, it's a process. It's a practice. It's, it's a practice. practice. Um, okay, so we know that this this is going long. We could sit here and talk for eight hours about this. I know, but now I feel like I've been I've jumped all over the place. Uh, well, that's the that's part of how this goes. We start. So I told you in the beginning of this. This is what I want to talk about, but we might be talking about God knows what. So I know. I feel like we spent way too much time on my own personal. No, no, no. I was going to ask you. I wanted you to. I want you to come back full circle with that of like, okay, you started doing this work. You started getting into this somatic work. How did that, what, what happened in you? How did that change? I think it'd be really helpful for people to hear how like that actually being aware of your body and being in your body really has helped change a lot of the way you live and think and breathe because a lot of people are terrified to get in their body. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, the body can be a scary place if your only connection to it is those extreme feelings, right? Like I think that we spend a lot of time in our heads and it's like we only, I, th- I want to say Dr. Bessel van der Kolk calls it the, the, it's like a dashboard or a blinking system. Like the, it's like you only come into your body when you're already maxed out, right? Like lights are like already change like your oil is when you come in. Right. Your- yeah. yeah. You come into your body and you're like, ow, I have pain, right? So you have an injury, ow, I have pain, or ow, I don't notice that I feel well every day. I don't notice that I feel good, but I sure as heck know when I feel sick and I don't feel good. And so if that is your only experience of being present with your body is just when it's too late and everything's popping off, then of course you're like, nope. And especially those of us who have um, trauma and anxiety disorder, like all those things, you don't want to be there. And so as a somatic practitioner and, or in a lot of somatic practices, you get to feel what it feels like to have ease, to have comfort, to, you know, uh, coming back to the somatic. We're not focusing on the, where is it scary and terrible? We're focusing on where does it feel safe? Yeah. Resourcing. Right. So I think that that comes back to that somatic experiential that we did that training, um, which comes out of Peter Levine's work, somatic experiencing, which you can feel free to do a Google find all of his information. Podcast to get into. I, I, yeah, I wanted to talk about all of them, but that's never going to happen. Yeah. I think we don't have enough time to really like tease all that out, but do a Google. You'll be fine. Um, but the truth is, 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 we go to the path of least resistance and feel what it feels like to be in our bodies and feel that sense of regulation and feel that sense of calm and comfort. And for me, what I learned is that it's not those external things, that those external things can be going on. And with these practices, I can be calm and I can find a sense of peace. I don't have to go to the top of a mountain to meditate. It's within me. Like I don't have to have the perfect yoga space or yoga room in my house with all of my meditation pillows and la 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 la, which if you're on social media, you'll think you need, but you don't. Just like (laughs) for me, I was- But it's not necessary. Yeah, it's not necessary because it's not, again, we, I think in our culture, we're all about this external, it's external motivation, it's external, I don't feel good, so let me go ask this doctor to fix my problem, and I mean, even in psychotherapy, it's like, I, something's wrong with my brain, fix me, <laughs> therapist. I, yeah, or, it, yeah, and it's like, also, I do, obviously, a lot of work with body image and eating disorders, it's never really about what they look like, they come in, they're like, I have an eating disorder, I have, tr- I want to control the way my body looks like. And I'm like, guess what? This has nothing to do with what you look like. This is about what you think about yourself. So it's yep. just, we're looking at an external. I don't want to go into my brain and in and, and my body and think about what I think about myself and why I think that because of my trauma and my experience in relationships and family. I want this to be about what I look like. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's not it. No. And we're looking for the magic medicine, the book. Like you said, I can read all the things. 
I have. I've read a lot of books. I've, you know, listened to all the podcasts and watch all the YouTube videos. And I know all the influencers who are telling me that, you know, self-help people are going to tell me to do all the things. But until I am able to be in my body and have the lived experience of what it feels like to be okay. I'm never going to feel okay. And so somatic movement therapy and other somatic therapies too, like they're all, they all have their, their place, but particularly the work I do, it's about this is your arm and it's beautiful just the way it is. This is your leg and it moves the way it is. And and from a place of comfort, what feels good? How can you move your body in a way that feels so good that these unconscious habitual patterns meld and mold and release and, and you have more patterns and more choices? I think we get so stuck in the habits. Our brain loves a habit. That's why we do the same thing over and over and expect a different result because it's just habit and it's comfortable. It's comfortable to, to sit and do the things that we always do. And I think it's why people get stuck in their patterns. It's like this worked for a minute and I just kept doing it. And then one day it just stopped working. Mm -hmm. And so by getting into our bodies, we're able to course correct and have choices. So maybe you binge Netflix one day. That's okay. But you don't have to but do that. One day, we don't do it every day because what you're going to learn, you're going to be like, you're going to wake up one day and be like, I don't feel good. Because those, those lights have been blinking, but you were so busy in your brain that you didn't feel it or notice it. Mm -hmm. You didn't feel or notice you were in pain or, or, you know, I, I know that when I'm not practicing mindfulness, like I'll be like, where did this bruise come from on my arm? Cause I'm so outside of my body that I've just banged into something, didn't even notice it. Right. And so that's the beauty of this work is that you can feel what it feels like to feel good. And I think that those of us by the time we feel like it's time to see a therapist, we're crying every day. We're miserable. We're in pain. Pain is a motivator. Mm -hmm. And, and so we need all of those things to help get us to a place of being able to say, I need some help. But I think as a somatic reaching things from a somatic perspective says, it's okay to be okay. It's okay to feel good too. Cause I think we get in that trap as well of like always looking for what's wrong instead of focusing on what's right and well, attracting that. Yeah. Because also if you think you come at this for one, I love that you said that because I just recently posted something um, about like, there doesn't have to be something wrong with you to go to therapy. And it's like, you can go to therapy feeling just fine. But a lot of us don't want to do that because they are still trying to ignore the lights going off. So when they get to therapy, they're a hot puddle and they can't bring themselves back. But the other part that I was going to say when it comes to like paying attention to your body is that a lot of us who have experienced or those who have experienced like significant, like the shock trauma, when they're not in their, in their trauma and in their reenactment of the pain, they're in a withdrawal. Because when, when they're not in the pain, they're waiting for the pain. And so right. it's actually really, really scary to actually do something different and take care of themselves and, and, and listen to the fact that the light's blinking. And to, th those are the people that are generally going to numb more. But because if I go work on these things and I start focusing that, that my legs feel really safe or that like my um, back is 
aching all the time and I don't want to pay attention to that. So I numb it. But when I don't numb out, I realize that like my arms are really strong or that like, it can be even something about your senses of that. Like when I don't numb out, I can like smell fresh air outside and feel like a cold breeze on my face. That feels good. But they don't want to do that because if they're in those moments, they're withdrawing from the anxiety of waiting for another moment. Right. Only by experiencing those moments, like jumping off the dam and experiencing fear and having a new experience of fear, that we learn that we are really more okay than we're not okay. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, to bring this back to like, people are like, I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about now, but to bring this <laughs> back to like your story, how did, how did getting in your body and you talked about all of the sensations around your anxiety, how did getting in touch with your body help you change your story? Well, for one thing, the more I'm, the more I come back to my body the more I am in touch with the internal version of myself. And it, for me, I was always on this external, like I said, external validation. So being in my body helped me. That's good. I'm writing that down. Yeah. Helped me to figure out that, um, that's that sometimes my mind makes up a story that's not true. But my body knows the truth. It knows when you get into that deep sense of, uh, I don't know, it's like this uh, inner voice. I guess some people may call that God. Some people might call that just in touch with the, you know, the wisdom of the human experience, that spiritual peace. Um, the Getting in touch with the spiritual peace brings spiritual peace, right? Um, and it, it does. It just makes me realize that everything's okay and that I can have, I, I have self-efficacy. I have, I'm confident that I can take care of myself. I have a sense of self-responsibility that no matter what is going on outside of myself, even if I, if everybody left me, right? Like I, I talked about that I had this like sense of abandonment. I'd never been abandoned, but I had that, you know, like the truth, that's the truth. And so I know I have, I have told myself multiple times, I'm going to be okay because I'm going to take care of myself. No matter what happens, I can take care of myself. And through somatic processes, I can catch myself in a, and through my therapy work with internal family systems, right? I don't know if I, I can't remember if I talked about that or not, but the parts I can actually feel in my body, oh, I'm not my adult self right now. I'm like seven-year-old me who's feeling afraid because she doesn't want to, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever the story, it doesn't matter, but I still, I feel like a child in this moment. And can the adult me step forward? And so can I feel in my body what it feels like to be present in this moment and be an adult and say, you don't have to be afraid. That was back then. This is now. You don't have to be afraid. It's okay. And it wasn't until I accessed that the somatic principles of listening, witnessing my thoughts, witnessing my body without judgment, witnessing my relationships and giving, creating space between an external stimuli or a trigger, whatever you want to call it, 
and then how my body reacts, how my mind reacts, and then how I act out. And so now the more I do this work, the more space gets in between. And I'm not just that walking nerve moving around, lashing out at people who trigger me or think situations that trigger me and acting out. I get to act in and ask myself, what is the, what is the best, you know, this isn't about me, right? I don't take everything personally because I access, okay, this I'm going to take care of myself no matter what, and I'm going to do what feels good for me in this moment. And that doesn't come from my brain. That comes from that deep connection to my inner self, that lived Soma, that me consciousness. Well, and you are bringing another perspective and putting different words on something that I know I talk about with clients all the time, but we've talked about on the podcast before too is when you ask yourself, like, how old do I feel? I think people sometimes think I'm crazy when they're like, I feel 25. Why are you asking me that? I'm like, no, no, no. Like, how old do you feel? Because your body is experiencing, like you're, you think that you're in the present, but your body is experiencing and seeing this external, whatever, as something from when you were seven years old. And so you are, you are seven years old inside your body now having this reaction to this outside stimuli. But why don't you ask the person that is 25 to come in and tell that seven-year-old what she needed to hear because back then she might've felt really unsafe and maybe she was, but right now you are safe. So why don't you step up in front of that seven-year-old or hold her hand or have her be present and then feel your presence too and express to that little girl or little boy that like, you're safe now. Like there's nothing to be afraid of. And I think that is, I like that you brought that to light because we talk about that a lot. And a lot of people don't understand that like, we're not woo woo, like making shit up because we're therapists and we like to be weird. It's like, no, like you're actually having, your body is having experience from your past. It's time for you to sit in the present and reevaluate and re-explain to yourself what's going on while you're attuned to somebody who's safe. That too, but I also was going to say, and once you have those tools in your tool belt, then here you are, a regulate, you can come back to your oscillate between, okay, I'm in this dysregulation of this seven-year-old version of myself. Can I get to a place of regulation through my tools, through my resources, and can I attune to this seven-year-old person and support in that ventral vagal branch of my nervous system and help re-regulate? And then we get to integrate all that stuff. And then maybe next time I have this trigger, I'm not gonna pop off and act a fool. And you're going, so- I'm, you're going, everything's okay. It, hey, every, you can do it naturally. It becomes something that just like, you don't have to sit and think about and the therapist doesn't walk you through. You recognize, cause you are paying attention to your body and you're like, oh, okay, this, it's familiar. I know what's happening. That's seven-year-old me. Hey, hey, guess what? We're okay. Exactly. I have to tell 21 year old me to sit the F down all the time because she wants to pop off. She wants to act out, right? She's like, what are you talking about? We're fixing to drop everything. Who needs responsibility? Let's go to the beach. Like, I can't tell you how many jobs I've quit in my life because she was driving the bus. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so, it's really like, And that's what I mean when I say the space. So somatic, it's like that space gets bigger and bigger and I quicker, like I 
before I actually hurt people I love and yeah. or mess up well, my I, life. But also people who aren't doing anything bad or wrong, because when you just said that, we talk about attachment a lot and yeah. we talk about, I mean, I'm anxious. So I have so many experiences where I, what I want to do is I want to end and I want to run away because I have an experience like 26 or 27 year old me where like I was, I did get blindsided and I did get hurt really bad and I was in an unsafe relationship. And so anytime that I have this like outward stimuli where I think something is off, I have to be like, hold up. You're first of all, you're not 27. This isn't that person. This is a new person and everything is fine. He, they're not doing anything wrong. They're actually being very kind to you, but there might have been like a tone of voice or maybe a phrase or maybe something, but because I have also have that fear of abandonment, it's like, I have to sit here and be like, hey, 27, 26 year old cat, you're okay. That relationship already ended. You're in a new one now. <laughs> and I said this the other day, I was talking to the guy that I'm dating and I gave this, I thought I was, this is so funny, but I thought I had like figured all this stuff out and I was going to tell him all these things about, and you know, I'm a therapist. So like, I know, and I explained to him like why I was acting the way I was acting. I basically said like, I feel like you're putting one hand out. And so I had my hand like stretched out with a stop sign. And then I was like, I feel like you're telling me to come here, but then you're also holding me out a little bit. And I, it's confusing because I don't know if I should come forward if you're trying to push me away. And he goes, that is not my hand. And I'm like, <laughs> he goes, that was somebody else's hand from past relationship. My hand's not up. I'm sitting right here asking, I asked you to go to dinner with me tonight. Like I'm confused who's, wh why you think that's my hand. And I was like, 26 year old cat was just trying to explain this relationship and you're right. And that's not your hand. Yeah. And I'm like, and so that's why I think it's important one to know this stuff, but to continue because I'm a therapist and I study this and I've known this for years and I still have to have experiences where I'm like, wait a second, that is not happening currently. And I need healthy people around me who I can attune to and hear and trust to remind me that like, I'm safe. That old part of me, not safe, but I'm pretty safe. Absolutely. And the other thing about, and even when people are like, oh, that's woo woo, that's out there. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, hello. I, this has been one of the most mind blowing things for me as I get more in tune with myself and my body. I, this is the same body. We didn't get a new one every year. We don't get it. It's, I was born in this body. It grows, it changes and evolves. And so everything that's ever happened in my life has evolved in this one body. I mean, hello. It's crazy when you think about it. And I got that little lesson from a coworker at the JCPenney, which I don't even know. Like, I mean, seriously, it was this woman that I worked with at JCPenney. She was older. And she said, you got to take care of your body um, because you only get one. And I hadn't, you know, we get lost in our brains and I don't think we realize we only have this one and yeah, you can be like, so I've got to take care of it. But the truth is, is I also have to acknowledge that it's had a lot of experiences. It's been through some shit, you know, it's been through some stuff. And so it's, 
I mean, it's just like if you get stung by a bee and then a bee swarms, you react to it because your body's been stung by a bee. But it's like for some reason, if my boyfriend breaks up with me and is really hurtful or abusive or whatever the scenario is, and then I go into another relationship, it doesn't occur to me that I'm just reacting to that bee from yeah. before that stung me. Yeah, that is good. Did you just make that up? I just made that up. <laughs> um, okay, so this is... I, again, we could see her forever, but so what do you say, what would you suggest for people who are like connecting to the somatic part who um, are in therapy and don't get any of that or, or just want to do something in conjunction with the therapy that they are doing that's being, that's really helpful for them? What, what would you say um, are good avenues to start to like look into noticing and getting into tune with their body and stuff more? Right. Um, yeah, you know, I was just reading last night about how somatics is kind of not an easy thing to access. So that's one of my conundrums that I'm working with in my brain right now, especially as we explore all these technological avenues of quarantine, right? How can we get this work to more people to help self-regulate and it not be something that's just a place of privilege that you get to access these things, right? So step one, like yoga is a somatic practice and you can find it in a lot of ways, like you can go on YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or whatever and find it. Um, look for, you know, somatic movement therapists. You can go to the ISMETA website. That's International Somatic Movement Education and Therapy Association. And they have a database where you can type in where you are and find somatic practitioners in your area. Um, uh, you can find somatic experiencing i'm sure that there you can do a google i think that like what i'm hearing is the easiest number one way one ask your therapist and hopefully they'll have some idea what you're talking about hopefully they do um if not then like yoga go to like and it, there's a lot of trauma-informed yoga too and so yeah that, like so try some of that and see where that takes you and then who knows maybe we'll do a um a unit therapy podcast elena somatic intro breathing yoga movement because i do miss you know what song i put on the other day what it's a song you used to play at the ranch all the time is it the abundance song no or is it the happy song, happy song. <laughs> i was like oh my god i miss this <laughs> but yeah yeah and then of course like um I, people can find me on social media and then just message me, right? So Elena Deaver, um, my Instagram is Elena, U-H-L-A-I-N-U-H. Um, and then, and I'll yeah, Facebook. In there. So all of yeah. this, we'll have links to everything. And then can they do your, um, your Facebook dance class? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So people can message me or, um, I think you can just search, Elena Deaver dance fitness okay. on Facebook. And I teach on Tuesdays and Thursdays at five 30. That's, uh, central time, right? Is that yeah. where we are in? <laughs> I never know what time zone I'm in. I never know. I'm, I'm trying to be in my body, but I never know what time zone. I'm I'm like. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, thank you. Um, this was great. And yeah. Yay! Well, okay, I will see you soon. All right, bye. Bye. All right, so I 
told you guys that you were going to like her and this was going to be a good episode. This might be one that you took a couple car rides or a couple days to get through, but so worth it, right? And again, this is just a starting point for kind of getting to know about you and your body and all of the things. I always like to say this is not therapy. This is just talking about what therapy can do. But if you connect with some of that and that hit some spots for you, call a therapist, reach out to somebody. Um, there are a couple books that are really helpful that explain a lot of this. One, Elena mentioned a couple times, The Body Keeps the Score um, is a really good place to start. It's it's really heady and it's really big. I had it. I used it as a textbook. It was like the book for my trauma class in um, grad school. So it's a pretty significant heavy read, but it's full of good information. Again, you can reach out to Elena on Instagram. You can follow her on her the fitness classes on Facebook. Again, Elena Deaver Fitness. And other than that, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I love you. Rate, like, subscribe, comment, all the things. If you like this episode, share it and tag us. We want to see you, um, see who's listening. And um, other than that, have a good rest of your week. I will. I'll be back in two weeks. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.